welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Welcome back to the show. So today's episode is going to be all about pregnancy and how conditions that may have affected your pregnancy can come back to play a role in perimenopause and menopause. So you may think these two are completely unrelated, and I am here to let you know that there's actually some really interesting themes that we may be able to glean from our pregnancy that we can use when we look forward to or as we're entering into perimenopause and menopause. Before we get into that, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Pharma. Thank you so much for sponsoring today's episode. Fem Pharma is a women's healthcare company that focuses on putting women first. Fem Pharma was established to help women who are often forgotten about the pharmaceutical industry. Their products address vaginal and vulval dryness, itching, and pain. We're always told how important it is to moisturize our face, but our intimate area is just as important. Many women have trouble talking about dryness with their doctors and do not know where to turn. Fem Pharma is here for you. This company feels women should feel comfortable making intimate skin hydration a part of their daily skincare routine. Try their products today for relief from vaginal and vulval dryness, itching, and pain. Check them out at FemPharma.com. That's F-E-M-M-E-P-H-A-R-M-A.com. You are not going to be disappointed. All right, so here comes a fun moment of truth. One of the reasons I wanted to do this episode today is because I am expecting, and I've been hiding this fact for a pretty long time, I am in my third trimester and so far pregnancy has gone just fine. I'm not one of those people who really enjoys being pregnant. I know many women who do, I'm simply not one of them. So I have been trying to hide it and I guess that's my way of not focusing so much on it. Thankfully, I'm lucky to be pretty healthy during this pregnancy, and this will be my third a child. It's a surprise. We don't know yet if it's going to be a boy or a girl, so it'd be really fun if you want to stick around and see. I'm due in early June, and if anything like my last baby, uh, this baby might be a little early. So if there's a little break in podcast episodes, it's probably because I just had a baby. Now, you also know that I love working and I love what I do, so I'll probably be back pretty quickly. And at this point, I've gotten really efficient at getting podcast episodes out to you. So I wanted to let you know, because I didn't feel like I was being honest, hiding this any longer, and I am really excited. But it really led me to think about, let's talk about how pregnancy relates to perimenopause and menopause. Now, I just said I'm not one of those people who loves being pregnant. That's mostly because I'm uncomfortable a lot. However, I have been really blessed to have healthy pregnancies. But every single pregnancy can be thought of as a stress test. So do you know what a stress test is? If you don't, we typically think about cardiovascular stress tests where they put the little leads on you and you have to walk or run on the treadmill. And they're looking at the EKG to see when you're under stress, what happens to your body. And this is gleaming information about future cardiovascular or current cardiovascular risks that you may have. 
And pregnancy is very similar. It's a, you know, 40-week stress test to see when we put your body under a little bit of stress, are there conditions that arise that may play a role in your health as we go down the line? And we're starting to glean so much more information about what we can take from our state and as pregnant women into our health as we go forward. For example, if you had gestational diabetes or gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, a preterm birth, postpartum depression, or any of these other complications, I'm going to talk to you about what all those could mean. And we're still gathering a lot of this data, so more and more is to come. Now, if you've never had a baby or you haven't had a pregnancy in your lifetime, I think this episode will still be really interesting because we're learning so much about maternal health and female risk factors that are completely independent or different from the traditional, and I'm saying that with air quotes and you can't see me, risk factors, which is based on the male system. So thinking about these is also really interesting, as well as if you have a friend or a daughter or a niece who's going to be pregnant, this is such really interesting information to know about. First, I'm going to walk you through some soft findings. And soft findings means this is just what I see clinically, and I don't really know how it's going to go on to apply. But one of the things that I do see on a very common basis is women who have had postpartum depression seem to have an increased risk for either PMDD, which is severe PMS, or mood symptoms in perimenopause and into menopause. Now let's talk a little bit about why that is. When you are pregnant, your estrogen levels go sky high. So to give you a reference range, estrogen goes anywhere from about 50 to 500 uh, premenopausally every cycle so that women can get pregnant. And during pregnancy, your estrogen goes up into the thousands. Immediately after you deliver, your estrogen starts to decline and pretty quickly. And if you breastfeed, your estrogen stays really, really low. So let's let's just throw out some numbers to kind of give you a visual. Let's say your estrogen is 2000 and it goes all the way down to 100. That is a huge drop if you just subtract 100 from 2000. And your brain can feel that and your brain says, whoa, 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 I loved that estrogen. Oh my goodness, what is happening? But then you also throw in some environmental factors like there's a new baby you have to take care of, there's fears, there's anxieties, there's sleeplessness. So there's some environmental factors in postpartum depression as well. But that physiologic change, that drop in estrogen level that you may not have liked means that when that happens again later in perimenopause and into menopause, you may have very similar mood-related symptoms. Now, again, I call this a soft finding because we're still trying to figure out the true association between the two, but it is really fascinating that I see this very commonly in my clinic. Now, it's the same physiologic process that happens every month when our estrogen goes up to 50 and then or 500 and then it drops down to 50. So it goes 550, 550. And for women who start to develop PMDD in perimenopause or in their 40s, and then you throw in, you know, those strange wonky periods and the really erratic levels of estrogen as you're going through perimenopause, it's interesting to note that a lot of those women who have mood symptoms will have, tell me they've had a history of either diagnosed or undiagnosed postpartum depression. And I say that just because 
We have gotten better at diagnosing postpartum depression, but certainly even as little as 10 years ago, it may have gone undiagnosed. But a lot of my patients will say, I know that I had that, just didn't really get diagnosed at the time. So a history of postpartum depression may, and I say may as we just don't know yet, but I do see this to be a common association, may increase mood disorders or mood disturbances, or mood is a primary issue when you're going into perimenopause and into menopause. I also find that women who loved being pregnant, or they will say, I never felt better, or my mood was really, really good, or I finally was free from, you know, whatever their chronic diseases, for example, um, autoimmune conditions or uh, allergic conditions or MS and things like that. They can actually get better during pregnancy. And people will say, I felt amazing. And that is another soft finding that I see that their body, when it had a good level of estrogen, a really healthy dose of estrogen, felt really good. And I can't help but think that those estrogen receptors, which again are from head to toe, just loved being inundated with that hormone. And I find that some of those women when they come to see me for menopausal symptoms, do extraordinarily well when we consider estrogen replacement. Either it helps with that underlying chronic condition, that joint pain or the MS or um, the allergic symptom, whatever it may be, along with the common menopausal symptoms, hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, etc. But they just feel really, really good. So again, it's a little bit of a stress test when I say, how did you feel during pregnancy? Now, Again, this is not foolproof because I usually I usually say that I feel pretty miserable, but there's actually really nothing wrong with me. I just mentally hate feeling like any type of limitation, even though it's mostly physical. But I still think that these are really interesting and that more research should be done and is currently being done on mood disorders or you know how mentally we feel during pregnancy as a stress test to how that relates to perimenopause and menopause. Interestingly too, the first trimester of pregnancy is when your progesterone level rises really, really rapidly. And I always say progesterone has two main roles in our body. One, to sustain a pregnancy, which is what it's doing during that first trimester. That progesterone is really there to help the developing um, fetus embryo while you're creating the placenta and it's working its magic and its other function is to keep your uterus healthy. But that feeling when you had a lot of progesterone in first trimester is a little bit of what it's like to take progesterone um, postmenopausally. Now, it's of course, this is really different because levels are different. And we use progesterone differently than we use estrogen. Remember, you only have to take progesterone if you have an intact uterus. But it can, for some women, help with sleep because it's a relaxation hormone. So again, think about first trimester, you felt nice and tired and sleepy and you could fall asleep at 7 p.m. most nights. And that's a little bit of a reminder of what taking micronized natural progesterone can be like for some women. They really do like that sensation because it is a little bit of a relaxing um, sleeping aid. So, you know, I think these things are so, so, so fascinating. And if you ever were pregnant, I think it's really interesting to think back and reflect on how that may be similar, you know, or different to how you are feeling now. Next, I want to get into some more 
clear clinical diagnoses during pregnancy. So we're going to talk about uh, blood pressure disorders in pregnancy and sugar disorders in pregnancy, along with other things like preterm birth. But before that, just a short message from me. I just want to remind you that my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know, Your Doctor Never Told You, is available for you to take online at your own pace. This six-hour course that I created covers everything you could ever want to know about menopause. Ideally, it's like sitting with me in an office and having a long conversation about menopause, the definitions, the facts, and the evidence behind making the right decision for you. In this course, I really walk you through how to come out of this journey feeling confident and successful instead of confused and frustrated, which is what I find so many women go through and why I became a menopause doctor and why I created this course for you. If you want to learn more about the course, simply go to my website, heatherhirschmd.com slash course. All right. So what are the actual diagnoses of gestational hypertension versus regular old hypertension and preeclampsia and eclampsia? Let's talk about each one of those. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, most of my listeners are not in the peripartum stage, but interesting, again, to know that diagnosis either for your daughters, your nieces, um, family members, etc., or to think about for when you were pregnant. Because again, I always find that it takes multiple times to hear these things to really make them make sense. So gestational hypertension is diagnosed when your blood pressure starts to go up only during pregnancy. It's just called hypertension if you had a little bit of high blood pressure before you got pregnant and maybe it's exacerbated by your pregnancy. And gestational hypertension is usually elevated blood pressure diagnosed before 20 weeks. After 20 weeks is when that blood pressure rising could be considered preeclampsia. Now remember, normal blood pressure is a systolic of 120 over a diastolic of 80 and high blood pressure is when the numbers are greater than 140 over 90 on two occasions. And side note, something really interesting about blood pressure that we are finding more and more information on is that blood pressure taken at the doctor's office is pretty inaccurate. And the most accurate blood pressure reading is really your your blood pressure reading at home. Preeclampsia is when you have uh, elevated blood pressure plus some other symptoms that happen after 20 weeks of pregnancy. And eclampsia is when the preeclampsia, most likely preceding it, has gotten so bad it can cause seizures. Preeclampsia and eclampsia are really quite serious, as is gestational hypertension. And the reason this is a little bit of a stress test is because if you think back to your physics class way back in like ninth grade, when you remember learning that lesson about adding another circuit, which a baby is, it's another circuit, actually your blood pressure should go down. So when your blood pressure actually starts to go up during pregnancy, this is a really strong indication that that stressor was kind of hard for your body because your blood pressure actually started to go up. For women who carry the diagnosis of gestational hypertension, this increases your risk for chronic hypertension as an adult two to eight fold. 
And so that's why this is so important. Now, you've heard me talk multiple times that the leading cause of death in women is cardiovascular disease, and the American Heart Association just released a 2020 statement the very end of the year, near October, November, on how the menopause transition itself is a novel risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So putting these two things together, here's the take-home message. Since menopause itself can cause some changes to the cardiovascular system, it can increase cholesterol, it can worsen or change the way we metabolize sugar, and that's called worsening our insulin resistance. It can actually even change the way our heart beats based on the drop in estrogen level. If you add gestational high blood pressure to that, this really makes the menopause transition a risk factor for your overall health. Now, not supposed to be scary. It's just really supposed to empower you that, wow, I had that diagnosis of high blood pressure in pregnancy. And unlike what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, what happens during pregnancy does not stay in pregnancy. So as you're going through menopause, I want you to think about a couple of things. How is my overall health How has my blood pressure been? And you can certainly check at home. Anyone who wants one should have a blood pressure cuff so that they can check their blood pressure readings at home. How are other things like my A1C level, which can detect diabetes and my cholesterol? And am I having menopausal symptoms? Because I say this because if so, there is some data to show that estrogen is heart protective, especially for women who use hormone therapy within 10 years of menopause who have symptoms. And while hormone therapy is not indicated for primary prevention of heart disease, there is plenty of data to show that it is cardioprotective, what I just said. So I think this is a really interesting part of pregnancy when you think about the midlife transition. How is your overall health and how are your symptoms? Because estrogen may be really beneficial for you. Now let's talk about if you're in the perimenopause, menopause transition, and you already have high blood pressure, what does that mean in terms of your options for hormone therapy? Well, because the transdermal estrogen preparations avoid liver metabolism, they are probably better overall for women who have a diagnosis of high blood pressure at the time that they may be seeking treatment for menopausal symptoms like hot flashes. Now, I, as a clinician, always try to make sure that my patient's blood pressure is well controlled before talking about options. And again, sometimes we will start with the patch. Now, some women have a teeny tiny little micro fraction of high blood pressure, and it's well controlled on one small dose of a blood pressure medication, and they can actually even use oral options, but a lot of my patients do choose to start with a transdermal option, and the FDA-approved options would be the patch of estradiol or, you know, Divigel, which is estradiol gel. So important things to know if you are in the menopause transition and you go in with 
high blood pressure, what your options are. Now, if you are going into the menopause transition, you don't have high blood pressure, but you had gestational hypertension, you still could use either oral or transdermal. You may have a preference to use transdermal just because of what happened to you during your pregnancy, but it's more important that you just know that this association exists and therefore you can be better able to monitor this and be more proactive about your health overall, which I know you are because you listen to this podcast every week. Let's switch gears and talk about gestational diabetes. So gestational diabetes is really prevalent and we know that the prevalence is increasing. I want to tell you a fun story is that after I had, when I was pregnant with my daughter, that's my first, I drank that, you know, the juice you have to drink before you do your, um, your one hour glucose tolerance test. And I absolutely had the worst experience. It just made me feel so nauseous. I thought I was going to pass right out on the floor. And I said, I will never take this again. Sometimes clinicians are the worst patients. So for my second and third pregnancies, I opted instead to actually check my blood sugars and go through the whole rigmarole of doing that because I refused to drink that juice. It was just so beyond disgusting. So let's all have a moment of wow, if you had to drink that stuff, let's just be glad that that stage is over. But gestational diabetes is really important because a diagnosis of gestational diabetes increases your risk for chronic type 2 diabetes as an adult by anywhere from 17 to 63% in the next 5 to 16 years after that gestational diabetes diagnosis. So there's a clear link to that stress and insulin resistance, which is what happens, you know, to our bodies when we have, or when we develop type two diabetes. So it's really, really important that you know this risk exists. And I really encourage you to make sure if you have a primary care doctor that you see that your primary care doctor knows about your gestational diagnosis. Because when I did primary care for any of my patients who had gestational diabetes, I would check their A1Cs quite frequently, actually every six months to a year, whenever, whichever I would see you at, because again, you're at such a high risk, as well as continuing to watch your weight, your blood pressure, and your cholesterol levels. All of those things make up what could be metabolic syndrome, which again, all go to increase your risk for cardiovascular disease. So the same thing that I just kind of went through about gestational hypertension applies too to gestational diabetes. So if you had that diagnosis, it's really important to monitor your weight and to have your A1Cs checked frequently to make sure you're not in the pre-diabetes range or starting off in the diabetic range. Here is another really interesting fact about hormone therapy and diabetes. Now, back in the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI did a whole podcast on the WHI a couple back. So if you want to listen, flip through because that one was so, so good. What they found is that the women who took hormone therapy had less diagnosis of diabetes than the women who didn't. So that is so crucial. Let me say that again. We see this in multiple other studies that women who take hormone therapy seem to get the diagnosis of diabetes less. So we could go so far as to then say, is it protective? Yes, but we don't use estrogen to 
as primary prevention of preventing diabetes. And primary prevention really means we just give it to you because we know it's so good for you that we just have you take it so that you don't get diabetes. We don't do that. But again, if you are suffering from menopausal symptoms, estrogen is particularly good for our insulin levels. And I think that this is so mind-blowing and fascinating. You know, I think in both cases, if it was the gestational hypertension or this gestational diabetes, estrogen may really help you through the menopause transition, even though like the old thought or something you might have in your mind is, oh, you're not a good candidate for hormone therapy. This might even make you actually more of an applicable candidate for hormone therapy for my women who are really proactive about their health and going to watch and monitor these outcomes. Now, if you already are a diabetic or type 2 diabetic at the time you're seeking menopausal care, there is good data to show that the transdermal options, again, either that transdermal patch of estradiol or that transdermal estradiol gel are better because, again, they're going to avoid first-pass metabolism. So you're not going to have to uh, take it orally and have it metabolized in your liver. It's going to get better absorbed through your bloodstream and have better effects on your sugar levels. Now, I think one thing I see as a menopause doctor all the time is that my patients actually tell me when they're really symptomatic, meaning lots of hot flashes or night sweats or not sleeping, that their, their sugars seem to be under better control when they take estrogen. And I don't know why that is. Is it just because you're sleeping better? Is because the estrogen is playing a direct role. And same thing with high blood pressure. So many times, you guys, I start women on hormone therapy and they are able to come off their blood pressure medication. And I don't know if it's because they're sleeping better, they feel healthier, they're exercising more because they're not flashing, or if that estrogen stops that constriction, that squeezing of the vessels that happens every time you have a blood pressure, you have a hot flash, and that just brings your blood pressure down naturally. So it is really, really interesting to think about how these things that happen in pregnancy can come back around and play an important role in the midlife transition. And lastly, another interesting finding is preterm birth. So a preterm birth is a delivery before 37 weeks. 37 weeks and on is considered full term. And a preterm birth increases your chronic or your future risk of high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and dyslipidemia. And we don't know exactly why, and we don't know the exact full mechanism, but I do think this is really interesting to think about because again, a lot of times our primary care doctors who are thinking about our cardiovascular health, or maybe it's our OBGYNs, are not thinking about what happened in pregnancy and how that plays a role later on in our midlife. But I am here to tell you that it absolutely is. It's a window into what could happen in your future, not what is has to happen or what definitely will happen. If anything, it should be taken as a little stress test. We do these stress tests. We have you walk on the treadmill to simulate what could happen if you were, you know, out on a run, not, you know, surrounded by a team of medical doctors so that we can prepare you. So take these little tidbits as things that you could think about that might prepare you and make sure you talk to your doctors if you haven't already. You know, if you ever look at your after visit summary or what your medical diagnoses are, I know no one wants to add to that list, but it's not a badge of honor. It should be there so that your doctor is alerted to the fact that we should watch for these cardiovascular risk factors really closely because you had gestational hypertension 
or you had preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, or a preterm birth. So I want you to use these as really information to just keep you more on your toes, to make sure that you know exactly what happened to your body and what that could mean as you go into midlife. Because women in midlife, it is my goal for them to feel empowered, educated, and healthy. And knowledge is certainly power. So I think these things are so important. All right, guys, that's what I got for you today. I hope this was a really fun or interesting topic. If you didn't know any of this before, if you could pass this on to anyone, if it's interesting to you, I always love hearing your feedback. Thank you guys so much for all your podcast reviews. It is so wonderful to hear, and I'm going to give two shout outs for the most recent reviews I've had. Friends Forever 84, thank you so much on March 19th for saying Dr. Hirsch's podcast really offers the best information and options for discussion on menopause. My OBGYN doesn't take the time or have the time to explain this stage of life, and I've recommended this show to many others. Thank you so much for that wonderful comment, and I totally feel you on that. And I also want to thank another listener on March 14th who wrote, love your podcast. Would love to hear one about women going through surgical menopause. I actually have a whole YouTube video on surgical menopause. And if you haven't already checked out my YouTube channel, it's Health by Heather Hirsch. And I have one all about surgical menopause and so much other really good videos there too. I try to actually keep these topics a little different. You might wonder how I have just so much information to talk about menopause, but I do. So if you haven't checked out my YouTube channel, please do. Or if I'm out on maternity leave and there's a month or so that goes by without a podcast, feel free to check out my YouTube or my Instagram. I'm at hormone.health.doc to see pictures of that baby and all the other things that I've got going on for you guys. Thank you for being such supportive listeners and for being so excited about this podcast. It has most recently been in like the top 100 and top 50 of the medicine podcast on iTunes, which is so cool because how cool is it to have a resource for women going through the midlife and menopause transition that is evidence-based by a physician who does menopause day in and day out. So Without you, the show would not be growing. Thank you. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart. And I will be back next week with another episode for you on Wednesdays. Bye, everyone.